0: Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and today joining me is Anna Allerton. Anna's a former journalist and TV producer who spent 17 years at Sky, where she was an industry leader in women's sports journalism and listed in management today's 35 under 35. She's now the founder of Allerton Coaching, a business coach and consultant specialising in perimenopause and menopause. Welcome to the podcast Anna. Thanks for having me, great to be here. So you've talked on your own sort of social media account about your experience but for anybody who's not come across you before do you want to just sort of briefly talk about your personal experience of finding yourself in perimenopause and and then sort of how did that
1: lead you to do what you're you're doing now? Yeah it was quite a journey so I'll try and keep this as um, (laughs) succinct as (laughs) I can. My perimenopause began when I was 38. Um, I was on mat leave with my second daughter at the time and she was born in the November and in the March we all went back to into lockdown. So if we sort of cast our mind back to that moment in time Do we was, have to? No, no, let's not <laughs> dwell like, on that for too long. Time. But I had a two year old at home and, and a newborn. Mm. I think the only really simple way of explaining it was that I just didn't feel right. I felt so different to how I felt after having my firstborn. And and I think with lockdown and everything else, I just sort of muddled along like I think a lot of women do. And it was about the 10-month mark in that the anxiety was just really quite crippling. The insomnia, and I say that with a little grin on my face because anyone with a newborn or and, and a toddler yeah, well, will know that. How do you
0: disentangle exactly regular exactly kind of that. baby and baby? Yeah, not sleeping from from actual insomnia. It's it's you, you tricky, can't. isn't
1: it? And I certainly didn't at the time. And so I started to transition after that ten month mark to go back to work at Sky. I moved into a new role when I returned from mat leave, and and I was quite senior at the time. I was running the investigative journalist team, and it was about two, three months into returning to work that I realised there was something really quite seriously wrong with me. I had awful brain fog. I mean, I would it, brain fog and being a live TV producer really yeah. don't go hand we in hand. We joke about it, but
0: but <laughs> I can imagine that's that's not. Was,
1: no, it was awful, because at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Mm. Um, the anxiety was ramped, the the low confidence, the low mood, the mum guilt. And I came home one night and said to my husband, we need to see a neurologist, there's something wrong with my brain. I genuinely thought, and I know lots of women listening to this will probably yeah. nod along. And I thought I was going mad, genuinely thought I had early onset or was going mad. And fortunately, a colleague, a female colleague, actually, in our newsroom said, which I'm, I'm actually ever thankful for. She said, "Look, have you heard of perimenopause? And she said, I think the way you're feeling the way you're behaving, I think you should at least go and explore what it is. We'll have yeah. a discussion with your GP about it. And I'm always slightly embarrassed to admit it. But I didn't know what it was at the time I'd heard of menopause, my mum had gone through a pretty rubbish menopause and was very honest and open about Mm. her experience but perimenopause I hadn't and I think it's important to admit that because I know I'm not the only one yeah um, absolutely and and,
0: at that age as well why why would you be thinking about it I mean obviously now we we know that that those kind of signs and symptoms can start Mm. you know Mm. in your 30s or possibly even earlier but yeah I imagine back then there wasn't the same kind of information around and actually you know even now even though the information is there if you're not seeking it out at that kind of life stage mm. then maybe you still people would would be kind of unaware that it could be happening that early
1: absolutely and and you know that was over 4 years ago now for me so the voices that we have now thankfully that are that are keeping this on the agenda and that are talking about their experiences didn't really exist and certainly didn't exist for women with very small children in their mid to late 30s. Mm. And so I found it very, very difficult to find, find you know, resources and people to really talk to about this. But actually, this colleague saying to me, look, go away and research perimenopause, it was like a light bulb going on for me. And I began to tackle it. And I of this was more of a coping mechanism at the time, much like I would a story. So I started investigating it and then it almost became a bit of an obsession. (laughs) And I went to my doctor and it started me on a process of 10 appointments across 12 months. I was offered antidepressants four times and thanks to, you know, my access to being able to tackle this subject as a journalist, mm. I was able to sort of self-advocate for myself a little bit sooner than perhaps some others may have felt confident in doing. And that constant firing back questions to the GP, well are antidepressants going to deal with my heavy flooding? Are they going to deal with my acne that's come back like I'm fifteen all over again? Mm. You know, are antidepressants going to deal with you know all the array? They they just focused on the mental symptoms, but the physical symptoms, the pain, the joint pain, you know, the the restless leg, all of those things. It's just almost like they didn't want to hear that, and they just focused in on the anxiety and and said, "You've got two kids, we've just come out of lockdown, you've got a stressful job, yeah, antidepressants." And I didn't take them. I took the prescription away, and I never went to the pharmacy and got that because I've absolutely believed it wasn't the right path for me. And I know that it has a place for many, many people going through perimenopause and menopause. Sure. And I always remember my penultimate appointment with my GP. He, um, I said to him, look, can you just please refer me to, to a menopause specialist, um, a colleague that you may know, or I've got a list of some people that I'd be eager to speak with. And he said to me, I won't do that. It's professionally embarrassing for me to refer a woman who thinks that she is perimenopausal. And he said, what I'll do is I will refer you to a female GP in the practice who knows about women's things. And then I just thought, right, that's it. Please tell me he didn't say women's things. He said women's things. Don't worry, I'm no longer with that practice. You'll be pleased to hear. (laughs)
0: That is...
1: I just thought, is this actually happening to me? And, and, and then... This is 1987. absurd. And so I thought, right, I got out my Dr Louise Newsom book and I started firing at him the questions. Have you done the menopause module? No, don't want to speak to you anymore. Put someone on who can actually support me. Unfortunately, he put me on to this uh, female doctor who knows about women's things, apparently. <laughs> and, um, and she said, I'm not qualified to do this. And I hold my hands up and say, I don't have enough knowledge on this. So I'm going to refer mm. you to someone. And I want to be kept in touch and I want to collaborate wow, where I can difference. on it. Like that. And within 20 minutes of seeing a menopause specialist, it was the most emotional part of the journey, I think, because she heard me. And she listened, mm. and she believed me. And even thinking about it now, it's sort of, it's incredibly like emotional, emotional yeah. because you know I went for a year of my life with two really tiny children, this really important job, and no one would listen or hear me. And and that's ultimately to sort of wrap that journey. I know this was a long, a long answer, but
0: oh, but I think it's important to to understand because there will. Unfortunately, there will still be people experiencing what you experienced.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I am so passionate now to do what I can to use my voice to to try and say you're not alone and there are things that you can do. And I think the most incredible thing around working in perimenopause and menopause is that there are women that have each other's backs. You know, there, there is, there is a network of women that hear and listen and support each other. And it was really those fundamental things that by that point, actually, that I'd got treated and I went on to HRT. And very fortunately, HRT worked for me very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And the change was incredible. But it, what didn't leave me was almost that injustice feeling of what I had experienced and what I, by that point, had realised that many other women were experiencing. So I made the somewhat maybe mad, brave, describe it how you will, of leaving a 17-year career and setting up my business and and retraining and going back to the books for many, many months to do a pretty gruelling qualification process to become an exec coach because I thought, you know, the fundamentals of exec coaching is to listen, is to ask questions, and to work in service of someone, Mm. ultimately. And I was thinking I could have done with that a year ago, and I didn't have it. Passion-led, (laughs) purpose-led, fueled by madness, who knows, but I, I did it. And I'm so glad that I did, because, you know, I think... The other element that I'm incredibly passionate about, and perhaps we can we can dive into it at some point on this podcast, but we need to have more voices talking about what it's like to be a mum, particularly in your 30s, with tiny children. You know, you're we, we hear a lot around emptiness syndrome mm. and women going through that phase of their life. But we're not talking about hormonal rage and anger whilst dealing with toddler tantrums, whilst potty training, whilst weaning, whilst still breastfeeding. It's it, it's an incredibly lonely and isolating place, and we need to make more noise about that. Mm,
0: that's really interesting. I think people don't necessarily understand how how big of a, a percentage of of let's you know, let's say people who would go through menopause itself between 40 and 45 is kind of significant percentage. and when you factor in the worst case scenario if you like that that you could be having symptoms for 10 years before that. Mm. so it could be starting at 30 mm. for a, a reasonable you know proportion of the the population and plenty of us are having children a bit later on than than sort of generations before so yeah perfectly possible like you say to be to be juggling those early years which are demanding enough Mm -hmm. and then to kind of layer that perimenopause on top but actually how do you well two things how how do you kind of have the the sort of the self-awareness to tease those two things apart and realize what's really going on and then how how are you kind of able to get the sort of the best support and and advocate for yourself if that's what's going on for you.
1: Yeah absolutely and and I think the challenges of early years but then you've also got you know so many more women now generationally are working you know we've got the challenges of childcare, of returning to work of negotiating returning to work and you're having to fight and self-advocate on so many different levels that mm. it becomes really really exhausting and particularly isolating for, for many many women and that's why podcasts like this and and you know the array of of noise that we see particularly on social media is valuable to let people know hey look this is fine and you're not alone and there is support there for you yeah i think as well let, let's kind of
0: dive in a little bit into what coaching is and what it isn't because i think for a lot of people it feels like something that's not for them uh you know it just perhaps either because they haven't experienced it before or um you know it, it sounds like something that would be out out of reach in terms of sort of you know investing in that investing in ourselves we're you know we're very good at kind of paying for our kind of kids to go to art club or whatever but then going oh well I couldn't possibly pay xyz to I mean I I did therapy and invested in that and that was a brilliant investment and I guess in some senses you know investing in coaching is similar but how can you can you sort of explain how that kind of coaching process would work for somebody
1: I think The term exec coaching, executive coaching is actually a barrier to entry to a lot of people (laughs) because it feels like, oh, I have to be a CEO. Absolutely not. So coaching is I think there's lots of different layers to coaching. There's lots of pillars. My area of coaching is exec coaching, which isn't just dealing with people who are really, really senior and really powerful. The, the, the term exec coaching is more banded together with career coaching and mm-hmm. business coaching so this is really dealing with your professional life it's not life coaching that's something that I get a question about I actually did something on my uh, on my instagram about that a little while ago am I a life coach no I'm not not qualified in that my qualification is is, is around your career profession um, and business life and Coaching in its purest form is a space that you can enter into that helps you explore challenges, ambitions, goals, hiccups, bends in the road, whatever it is that's going on, joy, excitement, passion, any of these emotions. And It's almost like seeing your exec coach as a professional thinking partner and and the role of an exec coach is not to tell you how to do things. So they don't advise, they don't offer any insight around their own experience or their own journey, much like a mentor would, for example. A coach is really there to work in service of you to help you get from A to B or whatever direction you're trying to go in. A lot of people feel stuck in their careers or think I need to make the move or I'm going for a big interview or this is presenting as challenge for me. And a coach is there with trust, safety and confidentiality to create a space in which you can explore who you are and also your options and where you want to go and what you want and I think going back to what you said there at the beginning of this question we'll pay for the kids to go to art club and we'll we'll do all of these other amazing things but actually for a lot of women and particularly my clients in midlife will say that it feels indulgent mm. it feels feels a little bit selfish well, we're not
0: used Spend... to putting ourselves at the top of the
1: to-do list at We're all, not. Are we? we're not but then actually Being able to put yourself in a space where it is all about you and your needs and what's serving you best can be a deeply empowering experience for people, but it also can trigger real action and understanding and deepen self awareness. So, if I can just expand for a moment on the role of the coach so, the coach is there to ask questions and to listen but listen on that really high level, which is a skill that takes time and is constant work for coaches. And it's about sometimes hearing things that aren't necessarily being said and probing with love and kindness and respect to try and peel back those layers to get to the core, to get to the root cause, to get to the centre of who that person is. And so, for example, a lot of people that I work with will say that they want to go for a job interview or they want to, they're highly ambitious and they want to go for a particular a particular role. As an example, there's other things that I think we're probably going to get into shortly around other stuff that are presenting for women, particularly in the specialism that I'm in around perimenopause and menopause. But it's about Adopting different coaching models so that you can serve a client in a really individualized way. And I think this is why exec coaching for professional women really works during midlife, because we know perimenopause and menopause is not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And whilst things like menopause policies in organizations absolutely have their place and purpose, it's that individualized approach that enables people to have the space to explore what will work for them and the other thing that a lot of professional people like about coaching is that it challenges them and it also holds accountability so the coach as I said isn't going to say "Oh, if you do x y and z this will happen or here is a flowchart. follow this do the homework and come back no that's not it's not going to be handed there is work involved here but within that work is that deepening awareness and some people love the challenge. They love the accountability. You know, that's why they go to the gym or they work with a PT because it keeps them honest and it keeps them on target and it Mm. keeps them very goal focused. And I guess, you know, in a roundabout way, it's a little bit like that. Coach can become, you know, your PT for your your, your professional life, but they're not going to do it for you. You're going to have to do the hard work, but they are absolutely going to facilitate a really creative and safe space for you to explore what serves you best and what you need
0: yeah so when you're working sort of one-to-one with with an an individual what do you find that um from a perimenopause kind of lens what, what are the most common things that they would be typically struggling with in in that kind of work environment
1: there's lots of common themes around, and, and I'm sure a lot of women, this will resonate. One of the really big challenges is brain fog in the workplace. Yep. It's imposter syndrome. It's that feeling of overwhelm and heading towards burnout, but not actually being able to get off the train. It's, I want to say no to this, and I need to say no to that in order to serve myself and give myself space, but I can't. What, what, what's the blockage? Why can I not say no? Why is this proving so difficult? People pleasing is something that I hear all the time. Almost one client described it to me as I want to say yes to everything. and I want to keep everyone happy because I don't want anyone to suss out what's going on with me. And so it's almost masking it's like a defense mechanism. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And then a lot of women will report a dissatisfaction at their work rate. And that sort of brings up emotions of, of fear and frustration. And that reflection on, you know, before I was in perimenopause, I was was smashing it. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was able to work at this rate. I was really efficient. And then being confronted with this reality that I'm not my old self. I look in the mirror and I don't recognize myself anymore. So there's a lot of emotion attached to it also. So I think probably they're some of the really the really big issues. You know, I'm not going to dive into the individual Mm. symptoms of perimenopause and menopause because they present in different ways. But I think low confidence and that feeling of I'm not good enough anymore or I'm going to get found out is is really commonplace. So what are
0: the some of the sort of practical strategies that you've seen work really well with the people that you work with to to overcome some of those or to sort of help I suppose
1: manage some of that in in the workplace setting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very much down to the individual, and sometimes um, individuals will come in and have absolutely no idea where they want to go, and others will have lots of ideas and they need to just understand them and put them into some sort of manageable order or, or staircase almost of steps to achieve where it is that they want to go. I think some of the really I'm going to start with this because I think for me, this is a fundamental, for me personally, and it's symptom logging. I think that the power of symptom logging, and I'm always slightly surprised by the number of people who aren't symptom logging. I think if you are listening and you want to understand what's actually happening to you, symptom logging gives you data over time. It feeds you information that you can then action, um, amendments, change or address in your professional life. But also, we, we all know the power of symptom logging, you know, to be able to then see your GP yeah. or to be able to inform decision making around treatment so we'll park that over there but the power of symptom logging for working is really valuable because it feeds you back data so for example in my case my symptoms log will tell me really quite detailed now and that I log every day and don't think I'm like this obsessive about it <laughs> I use the Balance app. It's very easy to navigate. It's really quick and easy. It's a scaling system. Yeah. It takes me about 60, 90 seconds, and I just do it before I go to bed. And what that tells me is information so I can plan out in, in the future what's going to happen. So for example, if I have a big presentation, and I know it's around the 16th, 17th, 18th, when my anxiety really starts to ramp off, ramp up, sorry, and then my hormones drop off a cliff, and then A few days later, I have a very heavy period. And unfortunately, my flooding is sometimes where I feel safer just being at home and not being client facing. But I have logged enough that I feel confident to own that. And to some clients in this world, I can communicate that quite freely. <laughs> to others, not, not not so easily. Sorry, can't come in that day. I've got a really heavy period. Not often flows that nicely in conversation. But maybe one um,
0: maybe one day in the future. Well, we'll one day be we're, able we we have to aspire <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
1: that utopia of menstruation and menopause in the workplace being totally normal and cool. <laughs> I think it's, it's about sort of saying, right, I know that that's going to happen with me. And I think the challenge here that presents is, what can I realistically do within the realms of possibility? And that's something that comes up a lot. And we explore a lot in my coaching practice. Mm. So what can I do, knowing that this is probably going to happen?
0: And having that control as well, probably presumably kind of brings some of the stress, not all of it. But, you know, if you, if you can sort of have that, that sort of self-management, then that can help with other things because you're taking some of the stress out of the situation.
1: Absolutely. And it can also just be really empowering at a time where you don't really feel you have a huge amount of power over all of this. Mm. So, you know, you could be treating your symptoms and you could be on a a treatment plan that is working for you. But then this provides you with the opportunity to understand your data. And it's also really simple things from my symptoms logging. I now know the hours of the day where I'm just the most efficient. So I really try and organise my day into that space. And look, this is not going to be applicable to everyone if you're working in a factory or you're working a night shift. But the fundamental theory behind symptom logging and what I call my working smarter in menopause model is this is bespoke to you this is your individualized approach so what can we do in the realms of possibility and that's where the challenge sometimes presents itself and also the accountability so that there's other things that sort of feed into some of that that i think stems off a lot from what your data is telling you about your own experience and there's tools that you can start to put into your professional toolkit for a midlife woman uh, one of which is breathwork. I know that you've uh, mm. you've done some some discussions on this in the past, but you know the science and the understanding around breathwork now. I think is becoming a lot more sophisticated, and just exploring it to have it in your toolkit to lean into. I have to confess, before I started going through this, I thought breathwork was just a bit of a fad, not for a me. <laughs> a bit right, okay. So exactly that, and and actually. Breath work now helps me control the anxiety that wakes me up at three in the morning. It stops and calms the palpitations, and mm. it starts to center me a little bit. And that's taken some work, that's been challenged for me, and and the accountability piece is to just keep at it. It's a bit like people saying, "Oh, I've tried meditation and it doesn't work. It's, it feels a little bit like that with me with breath work. But I'm starting to reap the benefits now that I'm able to calm myself where, you know, my anxiety at three in the morning when I wake up and the head kicks in and I'm thinking I should have done that email. I shouldn't have said that to that person. Oh, my goodness, I'm a terrible mother. Actually used to take me to the brink of panic attacks. And then I would sort of whack my husband and be like, oh, I can't cope. This is awful. Something's going on. There's something not right here. Breathwork has able, enabled me to calm my brain, calm my breathing, take control of the situation. And you can apply that in the workplace before big meetings, before presentations. It takes practice, takes challenge. General overall wellness, this huge umbrella of wellness and well-being. But I think things that we can learn off of our symptoms log is... What am I eating for breakfast? How am I fueling myself? Why am I hitting a wall at three in the afternoon? Mm. And then that cycle goes and then it's two, three in the morning and I'm wide awake again and then feeling, you know, pretty wretched at six, seven o'clock in the morning once the kids are waking up. So it's that overall understanding of I need to make some changes to my nutrition. What does that look like? How do I do it and what do I need in order to do that? it's about looking also at your fitness. You know, we know the power of strength training and exercise and movement for women in midlife and actually for, for everyone the, 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 you know, not just for our mental health, but our physical health too. The fitness thing is the biggest challenge for, I would say, a majority of my clients that mm, are exploring it, it particularly those with young children. Mm. And it's what you said before, we start to push ourselves down the to-do list, don't we? And it's about saying, well, what do you need? How can you facilitate that so that you are creating just, space I ha- I for it? I haven't got
0: time. I can't. I can't fit it in. So like mm, mm. we always find time for the things that are important. So if we can make that a non-negotiable and uh, find,
1: yeah, you know, find some way to to build it in, mm. there's always a way to do it. That list of non-negotiables is on here, also in terms of saying. What are my non-negotiables? What have I got to do in order to hold myself up, look after myself, but also show up as the best version of me in, in the workplace? Sleep is a big one. And I think there's lots of different things we can do about around sleep, our relationship with our devices, how we're preparing ourselves yep. for sleep, <laughs> our caffeine, our alcohol, getting off social media and just cutting out the noise, reading books you know, just things like that in terms of calming the mind, the body, the soul, in order to really set you up for a nourishing sleep is really important. And some of that takes some change and, and some work. But I think in all of this, it's about dialing down the negative talk and actually really exercising self-compassion. I think, you know, we talk about this, don't we, in perimenopause and menopause, but we can speak and think of ourselves really negatively and we can be our own worst critics can't we mm.
0: we say things we wouldn't say to our best friends for sure
1: <laughs> exactly exactly and and it's about maybe confronting that and this is what I do a lot in my exec coaching is creating that space to be why are we not doing that for ourselves and and what does that look like for us what does it feel like is there a visualization this is the creative element of exec coaching and just having that space to really deep dive into that. And then once you understand it, you can take ownership of it and action. So other things also in terms of strategies around, you know, going into meetings or you've got brain fog, it's about setting up your workstation or your workspace. Can you get outside for some fresh air? Can you exit the floor that you're on or your desk or or, or your workstation and just go and move for a moment and just detach your mind? And it's about Giving yourself permission to do these things because it's serving you and 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 your workspace way better if if you feel confident that you can take these steps to really advocate for yourself. Delegation and saying no is another really big um, issue, but strategies around that are in the doing. Often it's that jumping off a cliff moment, and and that's sort of a visualization that often presents in my coaching practice of what's actually going to happen if you say no and learning to get comfortable with saying no and learning to trust your team and to de- delegate if that is a resource that is available to you. Note taking and brain fog. I just want to talk about that for a moment because this is right. Something... I'm sitting
0: up now because I want yeah. a... <laughs> I <want some> <laughs> this is something Help that me. comes <laughs> up.
1: I, I run a menopause cafe for women working in sport because of my sport background. Mm. And one of the things we talk about quite a lot and share and uh, collaborate on is around this subject of my brain fog is so bad. I've sat on a Teams call. I've then spent another hour watching the recording back. And then I've taken notes and I've cross-checked everything. That is a huge amount of time that you're investing in the, the fear of forgetting things. Yeah. So it's about looking at it and thinking, what can I do around note-taking? Can I turn on the transcribing tool and just seek permission from others on the call in order to do that so that you can be really present and listening so that you're not distracted by note taking and fearing that you're forgetting something or an action or a responsibility? can you use a dictation tool? Can you use an app? Can you use something like that that just you you have confidence in that makes your life that little bit easier? These are sort of these marginal gains, okay? They're Mm. they're not going to transform your life, but they could just give you that edge where instead of working eight hours a day, you're not working 12 going over notes and recordings and just making yourself more tired and on that path yeah, towards burnout, let
0: the technology work for us. I've tried exactly. using um, Google Keep. I think on my phone, you can do little voice notes, and it, tran- it then translates them into actual uh, text.
1: Yeah, tasks. So yeah, anything like that. It's just worth experimenting with and playing around with and seeing if you land on something that particularly resonates for you. So I also think finding your wing person is really helpful. If you've got someone, particularly if you work in a team, I know not all of us do, but have you got someone that you can say? This is presenting as a little bit of an issue for me here. And that there was, I I worked with someone who was in the blue light industry and very high pressured and and having to go out on blue lights at all hours of the day, Mm. managing quite debilitating symptoms. And one of the real breakthroughs that that person had was being able to just say to that one person alongside them, this is happening to me right now, tomorrow, I might be okay. But right now, this is what's happening. So we're going to enact whatever game plan we have for that. And that became a real lesson in teamwork and communication, and just opening yourself up to that fear almost of judgment, but, but picking your people in a really wise way. So that could be something that could be explored. Communication and conversation I think talking about this at work is probably, after imposter syndrome, the number one big challenge that presents for my clients. Mm. Cancelling that meeting at the last minute for fear and how we get over that sticky feeling and that blockage and, and where we go from there is, is a huge piece of work that, that I support women with. Understanding your triggers as well. I think this is something that is part of my imposter syndrome model, but it's also applicable elsewhere what is triggering me? What's ramping up the brain fog? What's what, you know, it could it be a meeting? Could it be a presentation? Could it be an individual that just really, really gets on your nerves? Well, but actually, you
0: over committing yourself to or, or saying, yeah, <laughs> saying, yes, yeah.
1: exactly. And then thinking, yikes, now I've got to do it all. And how am I going to do it? And I can't, and this is just mm. dreadful. So it's about understanding what are the triggers, once you identify them, you can visualize them, you see them coming, you can then start to put action into place out of your professional toolkit in order for you to try and temper some of that and figuring out when you're at your most productive is a really powerful way of not only feeling good that you're getting your stuff done and you're achieving what you need but it's also just a really smart way of working and this is I guess again part of this work smarter in menopause model it's about And and this model of mine is really inspired from the work that I've done in women's sport, which is we know the professionalisation of women's sport over the last sort of 10 to 12 years has seen a decrease in in certain injuries. And this is because women are training smarter around their cycle. So I'm saying let's work smarter around Mm -hmm. our symptoms. And then there's our marginal gain. That's our gap where we can take ownership, feel empowered and be as productive as as we possibly can in our situation
0: kind of ebb and flow with with how we're changing throughout the day the month the Mm. whatever and Mm. yeah work with it and not work against
1: it exactly and and sometimes that once you accept that that weight sometimes can then unlock other opportunities and you know this is something completely separate that I'm sure you've explored with other guests around actually what midlife can afford you and what 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 it's giving you and how it's actually serving you well not just taking away from you yeah
0: well, I think that's a, a lovely place to to wrap it up Anna, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us it's been lovely catching up with you and um, where can people find you if they want to hear more
1: so my website is allertoncoaching.com And I'm on Instagram at Alison Coaching, but most of my social media work takes place on LinkedIn. So if you just search for me under Anna
0: Allison. Fabulous. Well, we'll make sure we put all of that in the show notes. Thanks again and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Emma. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.